Welcome to Mom Jeans. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And whether you wear a boyfriend, boot cut, high rise, or low rise, this podcast is going to teach you to love the jeans you're in. So mamas, put your booty in a chair and let's get started. Welcome to Mom Jeans Weight Part 2. Last episode, we discussed the contributing factors to weight and body size. And today we want to discuss what do we do about our weight and what is body acceptance. I want to emphasize that this is a different perspective on weight than the usual diet culture. While last episode we reviewed the whys, why we gain and why we lose, and the whats, what changes contributes to our weight, we aren't going to do the usual next conversation of how to lose, but rather how to love. This is who you are. This is what contributes to who you are. So let's just embrace your body and your story. I want you to leave this conversation understanding and respecting your body, not trying to change it. It is what it is. Let's change our culture, our minds, our self-care, not our bodies. I absolutely agree with that. At the bottom line, our podcast episodes are always going to be about learning to love your genes. So with that being said, we're going to cover a lot of pretty heavy material today. We got a lot of research, a lot of stats, a lot of theories that we really feel like lay the groundwork for our message here. So not going to lie, it might sound a little dry at times, or you might feel like this is just a lot of science and research, and that's not usually my podcast style. But if you can hang out for this episode, we're going to really wrap it all up with This is exactly why we're laying the foundation. These are the theories that are so important in the body acceptance movement and then how we can apply this to you. So please hang in there. Tina's got some really fascinating information about the theories that we practice all the time in our work. And we want to teach you mamas all about this. Yeah, bear with me, y'all. It's going to make sense, I promise. But it's such good information. All right, Tina, start us off here. So what do we do about our weight? We have three answers to that question for you. First, accepting your weight, and we're going to talk about the health at every size movement. Second, building a better relationship with food so you can be mindful and an intuitive eater. And third, appreciating your body by loving it through every stage of change. So let's start off with accepting your weight. I work with a lot of people on understanding how the body actually works because the way that people understand the body to work is really extremely flawed. And I'm going to blame the diet industry for this, which is teaching people that calories in equals calories out and that our weight is the problem. And honestly, that is just a big old false. The best way that I can explain how the body works and our metabolism is through the wood burning stove analogy that I used in the previous episode. If you didn't get a chance to listen, I would go back now. So now that we understand how our metabolism works through that analogy, I want to help you all understand how our body and weight works. And I'm going to explain that through the Health at Every Size movement. I'm very passionate about the Health at Every Size movement and believe and practice it in my daily life. Health at Every Size was developed by the Association for Size Diversity and Health, or ASDA. And I'm going to quote a little excerpt from the ASDA website because I think it's absolutely amazing and I'm linking this website in the show notes. 
But it says that the framing for health at every size comes out of discussion among healthcare workers, consumers, and activists who reject both the use of BMI size weight as determinants for health and ultimately the belief system that weight is a choice. So these healthcare professionals, etc., are saying that health can be achieved at a variety of sizes and that our true set point and true body is not a choice. It's what we were birthed with and ultimately let's all accept that and appreciate it. So there's five principles in health at every size. Those principles are weight inclusivity. So we're accepting and respecting body diversity and recognizing that everyone comes in different shapes and sizes. Uh, we The second point is health enhancement. So ultimately supporting health outside of just a weight perspective that there's so much more that contributes to health, including physical, social, spiritual, economic, emotional, and many other needs. The third point is respectful care. So acknowledging that there are bias that exist, but everyone deserves care and we shouldn't discriminate just based on someone's size. The fourth point is eating for well-being. So this is touching on normal eating, intuitive eating, and eating for body respect and pleasure. And then the fifth point is engaging in life-enhancing movement. So this is supporting physical activity that feels good on your body. If you want a great resource about health at, health at every size, I love Linda Bacon. And they've written two books called Health at Every Size and Body Respect that I frequently refer to my clients. This movement is not saying that every size is healthy, but what this movement is trying to convey is that people can be healthy at a variety of shapes and sizes. And let's respect that instead of shaming people for having different body types. Instead of judging people's health by their body size, Let's start looking deeper at their behaviors and other factors. Health at Every Size talks about moving us away from a one-size-fits-all society and more towards individualized healthcare. My motto with clients in session is, it's not the food, it's your behavior, and I firmly believe that. I don't judge individuals' health based off of their body size and instead really try to dig deeper into their behaviors and see what we can change or add to make them healthier and more balanced. That is health at every size. I'm gonna link this really great YouTube video that I use in sessions and presentations with individuals in explaining what health at every size is. And it's called Poodle Science and it's amazing. So I really would recommend checking it out. Yeah, the health at every size movement is great because it's really redefining body acceptance. And body acceptance not only means accepting bodies that society usually judges, but also acknowledging that the genetic components that make up people's body sizes. So if people can be naturally thin, then people can be naturally fat. And thinner bodies are genetic, and so are curvy bodies. And overall, there's a huge emphasis on taking away pressure of 
it's a certain diet or certain exercise regimen that makes bodies look a certain way, but rather giving more emphasis on the genetic components of what makes up our body sizes and shapes. There's a concept called thin privilege that's part of the health at every size movement that encourages people born into thinner bodies to be aware of the fact that they have not had to experience the judgment and discrimination that so many in larger bodies experience. Thinner bodies are genetic and not necessarily something that people have quote unquote done right through diet and exercise. So we will spend an entire episode dedicated to health at every size in the future, but for now we're gonna link some amazing articles by fat activists in our show notes that explain the power of health at every size movement and also explain thin privilege so that we can be mindful of using the proper terminology as we talk about people's shapes and sizes. There are also so many aspects of access to resources in that thin privilege. We've talked about that a little bit in the previous episode, but I think that identifying all of our access to resources will really help lead to body acceptance because it's looking at the complexities of body size and not just the simplicity of diet and exercise. For example, there are many factors that I am just simply born into that can contribute to my weight. The privilege that comes with money, such as access to a variety of foods, access to paying for a gym membership, even the ability to work or not work outside of an office setting that allows me to move around more than just sitting in a cubicle all day. Also the privilege of access to resources, such as being able to pay for the internet so I can Google fascinating articles or being able to have access to certain books or higher education that gives me access to more information. I think location absolutely has a interesting factor to it. I'm allowed to be outside all the time because of the weather and that allows me to move around a little bit more. Whether or not you live in a rural area or an urban area, whether or not you live in winter where you are stuck inside all year round or you're living in a place where you're surfing all year round. All of these different environmental factors absolutely have an impact on our our weight, what we're able to consume as far as our food intake, and just the environment's impact on our sizes. It's a very complex system that I want people really to have some appreciation for in the body acceptance because it's not just what you've eaten calories in and it's not just the exercise calories out. It's a huge puzzle. I want to explain why weight acceptance is so important in navigating the healthcare system. Because as a dietitian, I am dealing with this every day in my practice. So starting off, I want to teach you all about two terms so that you can accept your body no matter what experience you have at the doctor's office. And these two terms are weight normative and weight inclusive. The weight normative approach basically judges people's health based off their weight. So example is that because you weigh this much, you have more risk of developing X disease, which is flawed. A weight inclusive approach looks beyond our weight into our behaviors and attacks our health from multiple angles, not just from our weight. In my work, I sometimes end up working with a team that I didn't choose 
meaning a client of mine has a doctor that they're working with that does not align with my approach to wellness. Deeper meaning, they are approaching the client's healthcare from a weight normative approach and sending them to me for weight loss. So as a non-diet, non-weight loss dietitian, this infuriates me. But instead of resisting these moments and just saying, I don't do weight loss, I believe that these moments are opportunities for me to educate the client and doctor about weight inclusivity and how we can view their health from a better angle. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to list a few issues that research shows that when clients are treated through the weight normative lens, this is what they struggle with. Binge eating, avoiding healthcare appointments due to shame, misdiagnosis from doctors due to judging them on their weight versus digging in a bit deeper, compensatory behaviors like restricting, over-exercising, weight gain, provider mistrust, so clients not trusting in their doctors and healthcare providers, weight cycling and yo-yo dieting, and increased preoccupation around their weight. Maybe someone didn't even have a negative body image and they go in and get shamed by a doctor. Now their body and weight is what they're thinking about. So unfortunately, clients end up avoiding their healthcare appointments because they are worried that they're going to be shamed about their body. I've heard multiple stories from clients who are living in larger bodies saying that they went to the doctor for back pain or a head cold and somehow their weight was brought up. Mm. Why did their weight need to be brought up when that is not the reason that they're at the doctors? And then on the flip side, were the clients living in a smaller body who were actually engaging in eating disorder behaviors or disordered eating, went to the doctors because of a medical-related issue, were praised for their body size and did not get the care that they were needing, which would be exploring more into their mental health or food behaviors, and instead were just glorified for doing a good job and weighing what they weigh. The weight-inclusive approach is working towards giving people the care they truly need and deserve. So that means that we need to take a bit more time with our patients, explore what is going on for them versus judging someone by the way that they look and making assumptions about their health. I like the focus on moving away from judging others' external appearance and instead looking at what's going on internal. I was trying to explain the body acceptance movement to a family member of mine who has a much more old school approach as far as weight and judgments and what this family member said to me was, I mean, body acceptance is great. If there's a woman in a larger body wearing a bikini on the beach that's saying, hey, look at me, I love my body. I mean, that's good and all, but she's going to die of high cholesterol. And I cringed because I thought, but that's the whole point. You're assuming that her external size means an internal factor. When really, if you actually look at another one of my family members, I won't name names, that has a thinner body and exercises regularly, that person has extremely high cholesterol and it's because it's just genetic. Every member in his family also has high cholesterol. And so we cannot look at external bodies and put internal health assumptions on it. An example I had recently was I actually slipped a disc in my back and really hurt myself and ended up having to go to multiple doctors, specialists, PT, surgeons. I've had a whole rigmarole of medical care on this. Not a single 
doctor has brought up my weight. Not a single doctor has attributed the thought that maybe if I lost some weight, I wouldn't have had this pressure on my spine or on my back. And that's a really interesting example that a lot of fat activists talk about, that they can hurt their back or hurt their knee, and a doctor will tell them, oh, it's probably your weight, you should probably diet. Whereas someone in a thinner body will go in and say, hey, I hurt my back, and all I did, you guys, was sit on the floor. So really, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're... they're Doctors could have so much to say if I was in a larger body, like, ooh, yeah, well, when you sit on the form, you get up because of your body. You know, no one brought up my body. And so I really just want to emphasize that I understand and respect that this whole concept of how doctors will treat people because I was, I have the thin privilege of not having that experience, but I also can totally understand how that must feel to go, no, 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 I just got up funny. It has nothing to do with my body size. So here's my question to you, Tina, as a dietitian, how would you approach it if due to medical reasons that are legit reasons, weight loss or maybe body size change is something that might need to be modified to actually improve internal health? Like how, how do you approach that? How do people get there without dieting? Could you explain that a little bit to us? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because... It's something that I get a lot, and like I was explaining before, I get a lot of recommendations from doctors saying, hey, I'm sending you this client, let's change their weight. So as a dietitian, I always get the, I bet you eat really healthy, or tell me the secret to dieting from others, not not necessarily clients, but others, and here's my secret. Diets don't work. They really don't. And there's research that proves this. There is not, there is no one diet or one way of eating that will work for long-term weight loss and health improvement. It just doesn't work. I'm going to talk about a few studies, which I will link in the show notes, that discuss why the weight-inclusive approach, so focusing on our behaviors, is more effective than the weight-normative approach, focusing on our weight. So it'll end up answering your question of if health is if someone's health is truly at risk, how can we improve their health that may shift their weight? If a client was coming to me saying their doctor is recommending weight changes, my approach is still going to be the same through that weight inclusive approach. We're gonna focus on behaviors. We're gonna see where in their life, in their behaviors, they're engaging in negative behaviors. I said behaviors a lot, but it's true. You know, if someone is not drinking enough water, not getting enough sleep, not eating in balance, not engaging in gentle movement, those are areas that I'm wanting to focus on with clients. And I 100% believe, and this research will prove, that in the long run, a client's health will improve, but not necessarily result in weight change. So there was one study that I'm going to talk about where they tracked individuals who were dieting. It showed that weight loss is not sustainable beyond one year. Another study by Wing and Flan, 80% of people regained weight in one year, and there was more regain in the second year follow-up. Another meta-analysis showed that 77% of weight was regained by year five for those that actually lost weight. In another study comparing the health at every size model to the diet approach, the only dieters lost weight 
Both groups initially had similar improvement in metabolic fitness, activity levels, psychological measures, and eating behaviors. So within the first year, it looked like the dieting group was headed in the quote-unquote healthier direction because they received weight changes and health improvements, even though, in my opinion, weight changes doesn't mean healthy. But if someone was looking at that and wanted to see weight as a result, the first year, the dieters are quote-unquote winning. However, after two years, the dieter group had regained the weight that they lost and they lost the health improvements. While the health at every size group sustained their health improvements, including psychological and physiological factors. So evidence shows that using factors other than weight on health is stronger. And in the health at every size group, some of the health improvements were their total cholesterol was lowered, their LDL was lowered, triglycerides, triglycerides in systolic blood pressure were lowered, and all these improvements were sustained through the two-year follow-up. The diet group, like I said before, initially lost the weight but didn't sustain their health improvements throughout the two-year follow-up. They had lower self-esteem and increased preoccupation in their body and weight. They had weight cycling. And research shows that weight cycling, we have higher mortality rate, risk of fractures, gallstones, loss of muscle tissue, hypertension, and chronic inflammation. So it's not necessarily that, hey, weight, higher body size, results in all these health issues it's that the actual weight cycling so the increase decrease increase decrease of dieting that's what's causing the health issues so in the end this weight inclusive approach is the best way to improve your health and relationship with your body if your body is wanting to change through improvements in your behaviors then it will but when we force our body to change through dieting and weight cycling and do something that it's not ready to do or wanting to do, then we're harming our health. And I believe 100% and have seen it through my work that finding peace with your food and your body, focusing on positive behaviors will ultimately bring you to a healthier place than dieting and weight loss will. I think that's a good point because it's also looking at what is the definition of health. Is health a number on a scale? Absolutely not. Health is a lot of internal factors and lab results, and health is also mental health. Health is also relief of depression and of anxiety and of body distress and self-loathing. So health is a big term that includes a lot of things, and it's not just a number on a scale. Body acceptance overall is really looking at all the complexities that go into health and go into body sizes. We really want everyone to realize that their body and their journey is uniquely theirs. That sometimes you can tweak things either direction with weight, but overall it is just looking at self-care, internal measures of health, and internal measures of how you feel about your body. So body acceptance is a big picture concept and we hope that everyone's able to get there through treating their body with respect. Our second point is how to build a better relationship with food so that you can be a mindful and intuitive eater. So your happiness with your body comes from flexibility, actually, not rigidity. 
We want you to enjoy the coffee, have the glass of wine, eat the cookies, and make yourself the salad. You get to choose what you want when you want it. You have the power. By listening to your body's needs, you can find your perfect fit. This kind of goes back to why we named our podcast Mom Jeans, because we want you to accept your jeans so that you can find the perfect fit of your jean size. So this goes into this whole concept that we've hinted a lot at about intuitive eating, and we are going to define what is intuitive eating right now. Yeah, I'm going to explain some main points, and then we're going to dive deeper in that. So Intuitive Eating was published in 1995 by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, who are two dietitians working in the eating disorder world. Intuitive Eating is a mind-body approach with 10 principles. It is giving yourself unconditional permission to eat with body attunement. It is an evidence-based process that has an assessment tool and research to back its effectiveness. And it basically means it's eating according to your own needs through physical, emotional, biological, pleasure, satisfaction, and how you're feeling. It's the want, when, awareness, and attunement to our body. So no one's saying that you can eat what you want whenever you want without connecting to your body. I'm going to give an example. I, for myself, know and love eating breakfast and know that I need a larger breakfast with balanced macronutrients. If I have a breakfast that let's say is a large plate of cookies or something that's like French toast with nothing else with it, I'm not going to feel great and I'm not even going to act great. I'm going to be a psycho moody biatch. That doesn't mean that French toast or cookies are bad. It's just saying that for me personally, I know that I need higher protein and fat in the morning. So therefore, pretty much eat eggs, etc. every day. Can I jump in and give an example with that one? Yeah. I totally agree with that. I am someone who needs some protein. But personally, I am someone who also needs a little pick-me-up because mornings are not my jam. And I also am very sensitive to caffeine even the caffeine in chocolate chip cookies or in brownies. Ah. So I am someone who cannot eat dessert after like 3 p.m. because literally the chocolate will keep me awake all night long. So I always have my brownies and my cookies with my breakfast and my coffee. I love it. I get my fix. I love my chocolate. It's great. And then I intuitively make the decision not to have it later in the day, not out of any dietary decisions, but merely because I would like to have a good night's sleep that night. Yeah. And that's the responsibility and choice that you've developed over time in connection, connecting to your body. The best example of an intuitive eater I can give for you guys are children. They eat what they want. We can't force them to eat. Yes, maybe we need to guide them on what we're serving them, but we can't really force our kids to eat if they're not hungry. And if we allow them to listen to their hunger fullness, they'll tell us when they're hungry. They'll tell us when they want a snack and when they're full. I know a lot of you are probably saying, not my kid, but that may be from our own anxiety and our own control that we're trying to implement on our children. I've had awareness around this with my son 
And he's a really great intuitive eater. Even as we introduce foods to him, some days he's really into it. Some days he's not. Even if it's a food that two days ago he really loved, today he's not into it. And that I feel like is really normal. And he stops when he's full. He asks me when, when he's hungry. It's just really amazing to watch. So intuitive eating is a research-based practice, which I think a lot of people try to argue, but it is there is research backing it. Research shows that the implementation of intuitive eating results in weight maintenance, but perhaps not weight loss, improved psychological health, improved physical health indicators other than BMI, such as blood pressure, cholesterol levels, and improved dietary intake and or eating behaviors, but not necessarily any changes in physical activity. Research hasn't shown that. I try to guide all of my clients that in order to change our relationship with food, we need to focus on adding items into our lives versus taking them away. So I know that intuitive eating is based off of checking in with your body and its cues. So I challenge you all to check in with yourself and see where you, where in your life you are lacking some awareness and how you can add in versus taking stuff away and or dieting. Like adding in more water to be better hydrated adding in more mindfulness practices so you can listen for your hunger fullness and adding in more variety so that you can hit all your nutrient needs and be more satisfied. Yeah, I find intuitive eating to be such a mind-blowing concept for so many of my mama friends. And every time I explain this, I often get the cliche response from them of like, well, I intuitively only want cookies, (laughs) LOL. But this is really not true. Like, Yes, our brain's reward system will tell us that cookies look delicious, but really that joke is steeped in diet culture. It's also exactly what happens when we have not been intuitive eaters. We crave the foods we've banished. We feel we cannot eat the foods we crave because we will only want those types of foods. And we joke that we can't let ourselves have certain foods because of the diet messages. Intuitive eating is a mind-blowing concept because it says all foods fit. As a mama, you can eat whatever you want. And when you give yourself permission to eat whatever you want, you get out of your head and into your body. You can hear your body craving the leafy greens or the protein or the carbs. You can enjoy the wine and cheese pairing or say no to the ice cream because you're lactose and it makes your stomach hurt. The bottom line is that flexibility is freedom. I often will go out to lunch with my mama friends and I will order the salad and people will, of course, make the body assuming comments of, oh, is that how you stay so thin because you eat salad? And it's like, well, no, it's actually because I haven't had my veggies today and I'm really needing some fiber and some greens. Or another flip side example will be I'll go out to lunch with my friends and I'll order the carbs and the fats, and people will say, I don't know how you eat that and stay so thin. And it's like, again, I had a salad earlier and I really need some carbs and I'm needing some high energy foods right now. So no, this is what I'm ordering. Giving yourself permission to be in tune with what your body needs in that moment, what you feel like having in that moment, and also looking at the bigger picture. Like what nutrients do you need today? What have you not had? What are you in the mood for? really giving yourself the flexibility and not sticking with any rules when you're eating. 
I think going through pregnancy and after childbirth, intuitive eating is a really powerful concept because our body really naturally amps up its communication with us because it's growing and nourishing a child. That's why we get those sudden random cravings when we're pregnant, like the stereotypical pickles. For me personally, it was Pop-Tarts. We get those sudden hunger signals out of nowhere, or we get acid reflux and we get really full quickly, or we need to increase certain nutrients to manage our breastfeeding or our sleepless nights. Overall, we get really interesting signals from our body during pregnancy and after childbirth that I think are really good examples to think about how all of a sudden we let go of any emotional relationship with food and we just get focused more on the body's communication. Being in our body and practicing intuitive eating is the best way to be the healthiest mom and just the healthiest person. This is saying, I'm getting rid of all the food rules. I'm listening to my body. I'm honoring my hunger. I'm stopping when I'm full. I'm being mindful of getting a variety of nutrients. And I'm also enjoying the foods that taste really good. Mama's the best way to be an intuitive eater is to just let go of all the diet messages to love your body, to eat what you want, and to figure out exactly what self-care looks like and how the foods you choose can be part of that self-care message to yourself. If what Rachel and I are saying are perking up your ears and you're really wanting to go deeper and explore this process, I really would recommend working with a dietitian and therapist that specialize in this so they can help move you through this process because it's amazing and great, but it can be really challenging to do alone. Agreed. All right, our third point is discussing body love and body care. I feel like I wanted to share a personal story because like I had said in episode two, your story, I have always had a positive body image story and have not focused on my weight throughout my life in a negative way or really it's only been positive. However, when I got pregnant, this opened up the door for others to comment on my weight and it brought more focus in my mind on my weight. Either I felt like I was showing so much, like showing being pregnant because I felt like my body was changing through hormones and I had a little belly initially, but no one validated me that I looked pregnant to then me being really pregnant because I was two weeks late and everyone was telling me that I looked really pregnant and I'm going to pop any day to then having a baby and losing that baby weight quickly, not on purpose, not through dieting, but through breastfeeding, lack of sleep. And now what I found out to be a thyroid condition and people commented on basically how amazing I looked even though I felt like shit. This was terrible for me because throughout it all, no one really asked me how I was doing, how I was feeling, and if everything was okay. They just commented on my body. And it opened my eyes to really how difficult this must be for others who struggle with body image and how would they would have handled these comments. It was really frustrating to me. And instead of listening to these comments and letting them drive my self-worth or behaviors or food intake, I decided to take care of myself. I chose to eat according to my body, even if that meant I was eating six meals and four to five snacks because I was hungry. 
and I was breastfeeding and I wanted to fuel my body and my son's body. Or if that meant I was going to take a nap when my son was napping versus going on a walk or strength training or doing one of the million to-dos that I had to do. Or setting work aside and decreasing my hours at the office, even though that meant putting my private practice on hold a little bit. I decided to focus and play with my son. I chose to do self-care that I felt very proud of and that made me happy versus obligatory items that would have felt me feeling unsatisfied mentally and physically. And lastly, I set boundaries with individuals. I told them to stop making comments on my body or the comments that they were making weren't making me feel great. And not everyone listened. Some people took offense, but ultimately I stuck to my guns and stuck to that boundary. Accepting our changing body as a mom is a big piece of this body love component. Moms, bodies change, end of story. Whether it's hormones, whether it's our birth control, whether it's our fertility medication, medications to manage other diagnoses of thyroid or depression or anxiety, breastfeeding, not breastfeeding, bodies are even more complex after giving birth and weight shifts as we age as well, as well as when hormones change. I really believe that bullying our bodies to be back at the place they were when we were young is not only impossible, but extremely dangerous and unrealistic. Aging bodies in women are just a part of life, and this age usually means weight settling in the areas it didn't when we were 25, boobs falling lower and differently than they did when we were 16, and yet we spend the rest of our lives trying to get our teen body back. I have a non-medical diagnosis that there's puberty at four stages. There's probably no doctor that will back me up, but I completely agree with this. And let's think, think about this. We go through puberty when we're maybe, you know, 12, 13, 14 to get our period. That is not our adult body. That is our teenage body. Just because we have our period doesn't mean we're ready to have a baby. Doesn't mean our hips are big enough are big enough to carry a baby. It just means you got a period. So sure, we have puberty when we're a teen. Then think about how your body changed when you were in college, in your 20s. For me, that's a secondary puberty. We now have shifted our the way our bone structure is. Our face fills out a little bit more. Our hips maybe change a little bit more. Our body changes overall as we're eating differently, as we're now learning how to consume alcohol in moderation, hopefully. And overall, we're just looking at our body changing again. Then think about your body when you're in your late 20s, 30s, and even early 40s, and you're going through all your baby making phases. Your body is changing so much as it's pregnant, as it's after childbirth. And then once again, when we go through menopause, our body changes again as our hormones shift and as our age affects our internal organs and our skin composition. So I think that women's bodies really go through multiple stages of quote unquote puberty or just change. And I think if we just spend all of our lives trying to look like that initial stage of puberty, we're really selling ourselves short and we're not accepting all the different changes. I think we need to have compassion for our bodies in this. Our bodies change multiple times. We have multiple milestones. We have to allow our minds and our expectations of our bodies and body image to change and shift with our changing bodies. We cannot stick to the beauty ideal of that 20-year-old fashion model and the flat stomach bikini bod 
and instead allow our softness and our edges to be beautiful because it really represents a shifting body and it's just so natural. Accepting all of this as natural, all these changes as natural and nothing to be ashamed of is a big piece of body acceptance. Another piece of body acceptance is self-care. And to me, self-care includes adding things, not taking away. So again, diets take away. We are adding. In a study done with 11,000 people, scientists discovered that it was possible to get healthier without any changes in weight. Thank you, scientists. They divided people into groups based off of their habits of consumption of fruits and veggies, smoking, alcohol consumption, and regular exercise. The study found that subjects who engaged in more health-damaging behaviors, such as smoking, excessive alcohol, and not consuming fruits, veggies, had the same risk for disease regardless of their weight. People who focused on increasing their water intake, fruits and vegetable intake, and decreasing these substances cut their disease risk by half, even if their weight stayed the same. All of those factors are what we call self-care factors because they are usually behaviors we use when we are struggling to manage our emotions in a balanced way, when we are struggling to have moderation in our own lifestyle, and whether we are putting effort into treating our bodies with respect. So since diets don't work, but as a mama, you feel that you need to increase your health and your self-care around your body, here are a few things you could try. Face masks. Yes. Relaxing showers or baths. Even just getting your nails done. Some positive self-talk and self-image. Wearing clothes that make you feel good. Prepping your food for the week so you have nutritious lunches and you're not just grabbing your kids' leftover chicken nuggets. Maybe trying some new recipes or foods to add variety to your palate and to find the enjoyment with food again. Monitoring your hunger and fullness levels to increase your mindfulness. Slowing down your busy schedule so you can stretch, walk, listen to music, or read a book so you can change your stress levels. Drinking more water, less coffee or alcohol, going to bed early, the bottom line is health is best when we are listening to our bodies. So whatever you need to do to get in touch with your body, whether it be sleep or dietary changes, the goal needs to be from a place of self-love, not self-loathing. So I've been trying this new thing where it's a meditation app and I'm terrible at meditation, but the app tells us that no one's terrible at meditation and that we should start small. So it's like 30 seconds, then a minute and a half, then four minutes, then 10 minutes, and you know what? I'm getting better, but I keep falling asleep. So it's helping <laughs> with something. Perfect. But it feels amazing. Anyways. I cannot emphasize this enough. We cannot punish our bodies to change. We cannot diet in peace. Learning to love our bodies is the bottom line. Sometimes that comes with weight loss. Sometimes it doesn't. But the bottom line is that's inconsequential because self-love and self-respect is exactly what's going to make us feel better and healthier. Thanks for joining us. We will see you all next episode. Have a great day. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaVoy. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com 
Follow us on Instagram at Mom Jeans the Podcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.